welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. But in this very special episode, we chat with the Dark Material podcast about the characters of Northern Lights. Hi everybody. Hi. We are just here in the intro to say hello and let you know what the hell this episode's about. <laughs> yeah, so we sat down with the Dark Material podcast, who are another read-along podcast that are also going through his Dark Materials. They kindly asked us to join them on an episode about the characters of Northern Lights. So we did that and it was super fun. Yeah, it was super fun. It was really interesting to be almost like the interviewees instead of the interviewers. But it was so much fun talking to them. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah, like Rachel said, we're just here in the intro. We would recommend that you listen to them. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts and you can follow them on Twitter at Dark Material Pod and on Instagram at The Dark Material Podcast. And you can support them on Patreon patreon.com forward slash dark material podcast yes do that go and support them spread some dust spread some love (laughs) definitely and thank you to ian and amy for having us we really enjoyed it and hope we get to do it again at the end of this little knife i think that would be fun definitely when we'll have even more opinions about asriel (laughs) oh my god i'm so sure that we will (laughs) (laughs) without further ado i guess let's get into it So we are very excited to be speaking to the lovely Faye and Rachel from fellow His Dark Materials podcast, Her Dark Materials Today, where we'll be delving into the characters of Northern Lights. So we'll be chatting about our favourites, our least favourites, the ones we have lengthy fanfic novels plotted for, all of the details, all of the gossip. So if you don't know Her Dark Materials, then certainly check them out. They are also a chapter-by-chapter read-through podcast of His Dark Materials. By the time this has come out, they'll be up to chapter three of The Subtle Knife. Um, They also have a a very nice HDM book club with other HDM fans from other podcasts. So they had one with Felix Trench from things like Quid Pro Euro and also from Kristen Russo from Buffering the Vampire Slayer. As well as the read-throughs, they also uh, did an episode-by-episode review of the TV series and to interview some of the cast and creative people involved in the series. Um, So yeah, give them a listen wherever you find podcasts um, or visit their website and Patreon page, which I'll let you guys point to. Um, There's loads to get your ears stuck into over there. So yeah, Uh, Faye, Rachel, welcome to uh, the Dark Material Podcast. Yes, thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks Hello. for having us. Thank you for having us. We're very excited. We're delighted to have you here. <laughs> so yeah, we've both uh, covered a fair amount of the His Dark Materials trilogy at this point in mm-hmm. our respective podcasts. And yeah, given that we are just embarking into The Subtle Knife, yes. uh, we thought this would be a nice opportunity to maybe reflect back on Northern Lights primarily. So we'll try and keep this spoiler free as much as we can within the constraints of not being overly excited. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> this is a kind of retrospective episode from... I don't know, some of the biggest HDM fans in the world. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, I guess before we start doing any of that, we also wanted to spend a bit of time talking about the 
artwork that Rachel creates um, just generally, but specifically as well for your podcast. Uh, so if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then what are you doing? Go away, put your headphones down, <laughs> go go on her Dark Materials page and like go on their social media, look at all the beautiful creations that Rachel makes. So we just wanted to kind of talk a bit about that because each week for each chapter, Rachel does this beautiful piece of artwork to kind of capture the mood of whatever they're about to talk about. So I wanted to kind of ask you, Rachel, how on earth do you decide what you're going to draw each time? (laughs) (laughs) I should ask you the same question, really, because I think quite often we end up drawing very similar things because I know you also do an illustration for your episodes. True. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's usually what can I physically do that isn't too intimidating? Yes, that's that's a big part (laughs) Um, for me too. (laughs) Do I have to draw somebody's face? No? Okay, that's good. Um, Because I have never had a clear picture in my head of what I think Lyra or Koldo, anyone really looks like, because for me, it's more of like an essence that morphs for the moment. And I really can't, putting a pin in it is impossible. Mm. Mm. And I wouldn't want to like draw it from the TV show or the movie, like... Yeah. likenesses so I tend to try and keep like all humans quite vague <laughs> and it's whatever kind of feels like a really poignant moment from mm. the chapter or whatever's like struck me as like that's a really strong image I really love that image mm-hmm. so like Lyra's Jordan it was like I just kind of saw a silhouette of the Oxford rooftops and like a sil- silhouette of the girl and the silhouette of the bird mm. and it just like worked as like an image and then like Obviously, I just had to draw the epic bear fight. Obviously. I mean, I shied away from that, but yeah, you went for it. It was great. I was like, at that point, we were like well into lockdown and I had a little bit more time than I knew what to do with. And I was like, "Hmm, can I do a simplified version of this? No, no, I just have to draw the bears. (laughs) I don't know, Faye, if you have the same thing. No disrespect, but I assume you're the artistically challenged one in in your podcast as I am in ours. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Uh, So I'm constantly kind of saying to Amy, oh, well, why don't you just draw like that entire fight scene from (laughs) Volvanger? No. Just capture the whole battle. That would be great. There's bears and Zeppelin, bullets flying. It'd be amazing. Yeah, for me, it's it's an interesting one because I uh, I never want to put too much pressure on Rich. So she'll message me sometimes and she'll be like, oh, what should I draw for this chapter? And uh. I'm like, uh, I don't know. And I try and think of like the easiest thing. I A can single think of grain of sand. <laughs> and then she always comes back with this like epic drawing. And I'm like, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm always worried. I don't want to put the pressure on. So I'm like, hmm. Maybe somebody's hand. <laughs> <laughs> and she, you've just drawn a lot of hands. Yeah, but then hands she'll come back nice with a bear fly and I'm like, amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is is there anything that you find you you tend to like be drawn towards in the chapter? Because for me, like if if I can get away with drawing an animal and make it vaguely related to the plot, I will do that 100%. <laughs> is there anything for you, Rachel, where you just kind of like, you said you draw, draw a lot of hands. What, what kind yeah. of things you? For some reason, I seem to keep drawing hands, but it's usually because that's an indication without having to draw the characters of like a strong interaction that's yes. happened in the chapter. Yeah. So like one true. that stands out is um, I drew a hand and it was the guy grabbing Lyra's hand as she's in the rooftop. And so I just, yes. I drew a bunch of roof tiles and then it's a girl's hand being grabbed by a hand that's clearly in like a, a lab coat kind of yeah. vibe. Mm. It's like, it's set, you know exactly what that moment is. Yes all I've had to draw is two hands but hands have loads of emotion in them as well because mm. you can really draw the shock of being grabbed by like a hand I'm gesticulating a lot and that doesn't work for podcasts <laughs> listeners the gesticulation is really helpful it's great gesticulating <laughs> <laughs> and yeah like I think 
for the witches, I, I was like, oh, I should feel like I should draw a witch, but it's a really Coulter heavy chapter. Mm. And so drawing Coulter holding the mug of chamomile tea yes. with her like dark hair and picked like a really nice like satin red shirt to use as a reference because I was like, mm, that's so Coulter. Like, <laughs> it felt, it felt very Ruth that one as well though. I, I really liked that drawing. That was what I thought of when you said hands. I was like, oh yeah, the chamomile tea, tea one. Um, mm. Yeah. That was yeah. nice. Uh, so yeah, I guess while we're, while we're on illustrations, Pullman does a few uh, oh, at yeah. the chapter headings for for each of the chapters. Do either of you have like any particular favourites? I don't know, by the way, how much you dwell on these. When whenever we come to record, Amy seems to constantly constantly point to me like uh, you haven't even mentioned it, Ian, because I just breeze past <laughs> them. But yeah. It's interesting because when I first read the books, I it wasn't something that I particularly noticed. And I don't know, Ian, like you said, we might be a little bit artistically challenged. We don't think about those things as much as, say, like Rich and Amy do. But mm. for me, it wasn't really something that I dwelled on. And it was only when we, we'd start the podcast that Rich started pointing them out to me. And we had the conversation of if... Because at first we we knew we wanted to do art for every episode, but we mm. didn't know realistically if Rach would have time to do that. Because uh, mm. obviously we weren't in lockdown at this point and the drawings that she does are, are very intricate. So mm. we were like, okay, if we don't have time to do that, maybe we will pull from those images and do something to do with those that are a little bit similar. Mm. We haven't really done that yet. But in terms of like, which is my favorite, I'm going to have to have a little look. <laughs> <laughs> Faye, by the way, pulls out a book, copy of it right next to her. It couldn't have been more that than like amazing. five millimeters yeah. from you. <laughs> so, you guys are ready. With rage. Brilliant. <laughs> I yeah, I'm literally just looking through. Also, I've realized that I occasionally try and deliberately pick something different to what Philip's drawn at the beginning yeah. of the chapter. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes I don't think about it at all and I end up drawing the same thing because I've just gotten to the silver guillotine and he's drawn a hand being grabbed coming out of a ceiling tile and I didn't even think about it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is, uh, you, you feel like he, he should know what is the most important part of the chapter, I guess. Mm. I suppose, I guess. <laughs> I remember there being one that stood out to me in the first bit of the book and i've just found it it's the one in lyra's jordan it's the the skull um yeah. so like yeah. scholar skull i just love i love skulls as well so <laughs> a blatant goth oh my god but, no. <laughs> it's always the polar bear it's always yorick yes the little, little face philip's drawing is so simple and he's just really cute and he's just got this big flat nose and a serious little face and he looks kind of like a thumb yes but it's great <laughs> yes that's so true <laughs> and, what, and what about you two do you have favorites oh god uh I, there's one that yeah. i not not being as well prepared as you guys i don't have a book near me but there is one that's kind of inverted it might be of the monkey but where he kind of flips the black and white around so that the subject is now called out in black rather than in a white out but, you know, in, the subject is black rather than an outline um, mm -hmm. And it itself is white. Mm -hmm. So oh, yeah, it's yeah. Monkey. yeah, yeah, that's right. Because that one, that one's just really striking. And I guess because it's so different, uh, that one actually jumped out to me, yeah. <laughs> rather than my normal breezing over it and just getting stuck into the text. But mm. yeah. And for me, I think it would be the same, maybe a similar thing to you, Rachel, where it's like, oh, I accidentally drew the same thing. The the picture that he has of the bridge, uh, the bridge of ice. Yeah. Um, yeah. For the betrayal chapter, I think. Or maybe Bullbanger Lights. Sorry, I never choose just one. <laughs> I'm always like, maybe these three things. But yeah, what what about in terms of Rachel's chapter drawings? Any highlights for you, Faye or Rachel? It's yes. probably easier for me to talk about what my favourite is because Rachel will <laughs> get all embarrassed and she won't want to say what her favourite is. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, 
the one that that Richard recently for Among the Witches, which I know we were only talking about Northern Lights, but mm. for the second chapter of yeah. The Subtle Knife, I love that one. Like the um, Serafina handing Lee the little um, flower that she takes from her crown to him, mm. which is really nice. And it's got a nice border of flowers around the outside. That mm. was kind of what I, we didn't talk about this in advance, Rich just sent it me over, but that was kind of what I pictured for that chapter. So mm-hmm. it was interesting. And then Northern Lights, I have two. So I love the one that Rich did for the Lost Boy, which is the one where Lyra is riding Yorick and it's got uh, yeah. like the Northern Lights in the background. Yeah, that one's beautiful. And then Betrayal uh, uh, with uh, Lyra oh. and oh. Yorick stood on either side of the like cliff with when the bridge has fallen and there we imagined them waving at each other but we didn't draw that in <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know there's the the video of the bear and the car's driving past the bear and he just pops his hand up and does like <laughs> the cutest little wave in the world that's what we were imagining yorick doing in that moment every time <laughs> excellent how about you rachel can you talk about it i jen i feel like i'm gonna pick the weirdest ones my favorite <laughs> I'm now forgetting which what chapter it is. I was just really proud of how well it came out. It was chapter 13, which is fencing, I think. Mm-hmm. But that's the chapter where Tony McCarris actually dies. And I drew him holding oh, the fish. Yeah. And I was just really proud of that drawing of a You're fish. so proud of how much <laughs> you shattered my heart into pieces. <laughs> it was just, yeah, I just drew his little hands. And I don't know, it was... I felt like it was a really good color palette. Mm. And I was like drawing from a reference of a dried fish. And I was like, why is it so pretty? I hate dried fish, but it's so pretty. <laughs> Do you so, find yeah. you have pretty weird Google results now from all of the things you've had to Google for drawing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got like a little reference images folder in my computer and it's got some really weird things in it. It's just, uh, it's a lot of hands as well. Yeah. Or like weird <laughs> selfies that I've taken where I've tried to like... <laughs> yeah there we have some creepy pictures of, pictures of you grabbing a throw for the oh the yeah Azriel i was gonna one. say from the ones you've done that the azriel uh, grabbing like grabbing on Stelmaria Stelmaria. For, yeah. um so i, I was like I yeah some, can you just grab this thing some hand you're modeling, angst. You know? <laughs> any agents out there looking for someone with skinny hands <laughs> um, I, w- yeah. I was such a bossy director i was like no 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 be more tortured be more like you know. <laughs> <laughs> show me the emotion amy um yeah yeah, so I don't know, I, I guess, uh, talking about some of the scenes that maybe inspired your your artworks, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that, by the way, that me and Faye are just having to sit back and be like, yes, you guys are fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I, I'm sure we bring things to the table. Uh, so oh. rude. Um, what, <laughs> are, there any, are there any particular scenes or characters that jump out at you from Northern Lights as a whole? So, like, maybe if we, we jump first on, on this one, because we were just talking about Tony grabbing the fish. Mm. For me, one of the most visual scenes, the thing that I can picture most clearly and just comes to my mind when I think about Northern Lights, is often the fishing hut and the little shack on the lake. Um, I can just see that scene so clearly, the darkness, the sky with the starlight, and then that sort of ramshackle hut full of holes and Mm. weather-beaten wood. It's very, very clear to me. Yeah. Um, And I think for me, I have a similar thing with Yoffa's palace and the way that's described. And I think irrespective of like any of my artistic abilities to capture that on a page i wish i could just like take a snapshot of what it is in my head because it's it's so clear uh, do, do you guys have any other characters or or scenes that you feel are just like so crisp in your mind i definitely think mrs coulter's apartment and that initial yeah. description 
of the like all of the perfumed floral it feels we were talking in our episode about it about how it all feels a little bit umbridgey and a little bit too sickly mm. sweet but like the way that that's described mm. is really vivid to me like the like pinstriped wallpaper and just a lot of the luxury in that scene is just it's the only place you see it in the book Yes, everywhere else, Lyra is like in a ramshackle college that is constantly like covered in scaffolding and stuffy old dusty scholars or a poop covered bear palace (laughs) Um, or like Egyptian boat that's lovingly maintained, but old and maintained and not Mm -hmm. like weird, luxurious and new and stuff. So Colter's apartment really like sticks for me as well. Mm. I think for me, the one that I had kind of the most fun with trying to figure out what it looked like in my head is like Azriel's house on Svalbard. Yeah. It's just like how how did these bears make this house when they also made a palace covered in shit? Like how is it good <laughs> enough for Azriel to live in? Um and just the room that he sits in where there's like the complete like uh, floor to ceiling like window where you can mm. look out onto northern lights like i loved that so much and just trying to like imagine how asriel would live is very interesting to me and it's it may, it's maybe not something that like is like really crisp in my mind but it's something that i had the most fun trying to like pinpoint in my brain what i thought it would look like mm. Mm. that's really interesting i've never thought about that before in terms of like the fact that they probably built yoffa's palace and asriel's whatever um lab home and yeah. within the same yeah. time period or like maybe the same bear craft people it's like getting a recommendation for a builder like you just look at the palace and go don't fucking use those guys <laughs> <laughs> it's just gonna be a disaster mm. yeah interesting sure. cool. cool yeah imagining the combination of like is it like a ski chalet or is it like a scientist laboratory <laughs> or is it yeah. a combination of the two like i can't quite work it out yes. mm. no yeah definitely shifts a lot in my mind but it would be a a cool place to visit, I reckon. Definitely. Cool. Well, uh, I guess we can talk a bit more about some of those characters. But uh, just before we go into that, can you maybe give people who haven't listened to your podcast, I mean, again, I'm going to berate those listeners and say, what are you doing? <laughs> Get away. But if if there are such uh, such people, can you kind of maybe just give a quick overview of like your own histories with, with the books and like when you first read them and all that kind of stuff? Uh, I read them first, so I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> I read my big sister's copy of the books. Uh, she definitely got given them probably when she was around the same age as Lyra. Mm-hmm. And then I read them when I was around the same age as Lyra. Oh. So I was reading them as a bossy little goody two shoes school kid thinking that I was going to be like Lyra and be friends with bears. And I was always trying to talk to cats as a child and um, (laughs) very much that kind of experience going through it. And so I definitely just very much related to Lyra the whole way through the books and was my relationship to all the characters was very much like whatever Lyra thinks, that's what I think. And so on this reading through as like a critical podcast, it has dramatically shifted the way I've seen a lot of the characters, especially the adults viewing it now as an adult reading Mm. it. Because even in re-listens and like, because I also really enjoy the audio books, re-listens and re-reads, I kind of always slip back into feeling like I'm like 12, 13, 14 years Mm. old when I'm reading it again. And I wouldn't necessarily always think about anything critically. I'd just enjoy the story and be swept along. And um, 
I definitely think reading through again, especially with Faye over my shoulder, who read it as an adult, um, <laughs> has been a really different experience. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So Faye, how, how did you come to it? Was it just a Rachel nagging you a lot to be like, read this book, you'll really like it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. I, uh, I read it for the first time. Was it last year or the year before? I think it was last. I think it was the year before last and it went into the beginning of last year mm-hmm. um and i will literally read anything i read a lot and i read really quickly so if somebody recommends me a book i'll add it to my list and i'll read it and rich was like oh i'll bring you these books you should definitely read them i'll bring them the next time i come to see you so mm-hmm. she brought them to me i read them quite fast um i remember reading northern lights and especially the first couple of chapters being like oh i don't know if this is for me like it's quite heavy on like the like historical scientific stuff and there's not much going on yet and i was like okay Mm -hmm. but then i got through it um and yeah i read them as an adult so very very different to the way that rich came to it um and that's why i think it's really interesting for the two of us to talk about it because we come at it from very different perspectives and Mm. i'm actually quite sad i've said this loads of times on our podcast but i'm really sad that i didn't read them as a child because i was obsessed Mm -hmm. with harry potter and i although like obviously in harry potter we have a lot of strong female characters i just really would have liked to have lyra when Mm -hmm. i was a kid i don't know how they passed me by but they just did um Mm -hmm. and i remember being vaguely aware of the golden compass film but that was about it and i remember when we started the podcast like a couple of my friends from school reached out to me and they were like we told you to read these books a million times (laughs) i do not remember you telling me that (laughs) that. (laughs) yeah that's really um, funny. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we uh, yeah, Rich and I definitely like have very different like perspectives on them. Um, so it's very interesting. But yeah, I loved them as soon as I read them, and then it's funny now because I have read uh, La Belle Sauvage and The Secret Commonwealth, and Rich hasn't. So like, I have read more of it now than she has. <laughs> the student has become the master. I see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the polar opposite. I'm a really slow reader, and I. I've accidentally, like Pavlov's dogs, trained myself to fall asleep when I read because I used just that used to be my thing. I'd wind down in the evening, I'd read a book before bed, and now when I read, I get sleepy. So yeah. I, I'm still halfway through La Belle Sauvage, but it's just because I just fall asleep like a page in, and it's not that the book's boring; it's that I'm absolutely knackered. <laughs> um, I've got I've got a similar thing with audiobooks, but actually, no, the audiobook for La Belle Sauvage is really good. Uh, if you haven't already got it, okay. uh, is it Michael Sheen? I just yeah. got Michael and Martin Sheen mixed up. I think, Michael Sheen, Welsh I think it's dude, Michael Sheen. Um, does the reading. It's really good. Uh, so I can recommend that for sure. Uh, have, have either of you found like in in your rereadings? Uh, I guess Rachel, this might apply apply to you a bit more on on your read throughs as the podcast or subsequent rereadings. Have any of your first impression impressions changed much? Maybe particularly now you're going through this critical eye. What are the key things you're like? How the hell did I ever read this from it as a kid? <laughs> well, w- my perspective on Asriel has dramatically changed from reading uh-huh. it as a kid and immediately identifying with Lyra and just assuming that her view of him was correct because she spends the entirety of the first book idolizing him. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm reading it and I'm going, oh, cool uncle, cool uncle, cool uncle. <laughs> and then reading through with Faye, uh, we've kind of gone, oh, wow, this man has lied to this girl her entire life Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. his interactions with her are cold um he is physically abusive towards her uh he is 
generally just not very nice. And mm. so you begin to see this, like the rose tinted glasses that Lyra's wearing. And yeah. I was definitely wearing those glasses when I was younger and thinking like, oh, he's a cool adventure man. And not thinking, mm, so he's a great man, but he's not a very good man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely not We've nice. definitely read that now. Yeah, the thing I didn't really pick up on as a kid either myself was like, that is so weird. There isn't a good reason for him to have lied about who he was, really, other than mm. for the plot purposes of the book, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just a kind of shitty, shitty reason to lie about the fact that he is related to Lyra. The sort of vague yeah. rationale of, oh, yeah. Jordan College safety maybe yeah. doesn't hold as much water um, yeah. <laughs> when you look at it critically, given that he's, you know, her dad. Mm. Uh, and, and everyone yeah. else must know, right? Yes. Yeah. And we're not we're not as real stands in this in the, on our podcast. Um, <laughs> we we half are. We, we, we shall we shall get into this debate. This oh, sounds yeah, fascinating. Yeah. We will we will. Um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I I think for me, uh, just on the as real as real point, uh, yeah. everything that Rich said, and also at the end, he's very emotionally abusive towards Mrs. Coulter, mm. and we know that Mrs. Coulter herself is obviously not a good character in the sense of being she's more a villain. But the way that he speaks to her when just before he crosses the bridge is pretty disgusting. He mm -hmm. is very much like, come with me, come with me. And then she's like, uh, no, thank you. And then he's like, okay, then fuck you. You're a shit mom. Bye. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. Wow. <laughs> yeah. you, went, you went there really quickly, Asriel. You really had that <laughs> yeah, one locked exactly. and loaded. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody cannot handle rejection. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think for me... There are like two characters that I've kind of done this with because like mm -hmm. I said, I read quite quickly. So if a character doesn't stand out to me immediately, then I am prone to not dismiss them completely, but kind of like not pay as much attention to them as I would to say like Lyra yeah. or Mrs. Coulter, the, the more prominent characters. But for me on this read through, I loved Lee Scoresby so much <laughs> i loved him so so much and i think part of the reason is lynn manuel miranda's portrayal of him in the show i thought that he brought such like a sweet like comedic charm to lee that i hadn't read yeah. when i first read it and i kind of read more into that when rich and i were reading it for the podcast so lovely scores bit. and the other one is father corum like yes. when i first read the book i <laughs> basically had like no feelings about him whatsoever. And then on this read through, he's been like the ultimate dad and I'd die for him. I fucking love him so much. <laughs> but like I had no feelings towards him at all in the first read through. So it's really interesting like how like even just like taking your time with stuff can really like bring out new things in your brain that kind of like plant themselves in there. Um, mm. So yeah, it's been fun to to kind of have that happen. I feel mm. like I should mention that as soon as Faye mentioned Father Corum, Rach did like the heart eyes emoji, basically in in, in real time. <laughs> you turned it, into it was an beautiful. Emoji. <laughs> it was a beautiful moment. He's the best one. I think a real thing that really stood out to me on this read through as like a concept that I never fully put together is the first book has a really strong theme of like chosen family, and Lyra. Mm especially at the end when she kind of basically turns around and is like, fuck my biological parents. I don't really care about them. I want my bear dad. I want my father quorum dad. I want my Mark Costa and like my librarian dad and the master and like all don't of these. Don't forget like... balloon dad. Don't forget Lee. Balloon dad. Don't forget witch mom. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
<laughs> so so she's just got this like amazing <laughs> chosen family of people around her that have become these like amazing protective characters that I think, I guess reading it when you're younger, you're just like, oh yeah, all these people are just helping Lyra out. And oh yeah, of course she loves them. But then when you're reading it as an adult, you realize how, and you're out in the world and you're like living yeah. your life. It's really hard to make those connections sometimes. And you realize the level of importance that people that mean that in your life have to you mm-hmm. and to re- like read Lyra making those connections and mm-hmm. then like actually valuing them is mm-hmm. really beautiful and I think I never really picked up on that as a kid reading it I was just like oh cool stuff yeah I have the same journey and I think the my favorite part in the entirety of Northern Lights is when uh Yorick names Lyra Lyra Silvertongue it made me cry the first time I read it and it made me cry this time. It made me cry in the TV show. And the first time I read it, I didn't really know why I was, why it, I had that emotional connection. And mm-hmm. it's only when Rachel and I have been reading it again and talking about Chosen Family. And I think it's because I identify so much with the concept of Chosen Family that mm-hmm. that particular bit just really, really got me. And every time yeah. I even think about it, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> the emotions <laughs> just come back. It, yeah, it's, I, yeah, it's so great. It's yeah, I think I, I have the, a similar kind of thing with, um, oh, it's when Lee's talking to Serafina in the balloon and she's basically like, someone needs to be a dad here, nudge, nudge, nudge. And he eventually just goes, yes, you know, some line like yeah. if any if any little girl needed a father uh, it's her and i'll do it yeah, it's like yeah yeah it's so direct and it's such a loving kind and self-sacrificing offer mm-hmm. uh, definitely. i definitely read more into lee this time around than than previously mm. especially because with lee we spoke a lot about um i kind of forgot in my first read through that he kind of has a bit of a wobble and he's like well actually i just wanted some money and like now here i am in this yeah. massive war yes. and i don't really want to be here yeah. um and his journey to then being like i will be lyra's dad is really heartwarming yeah. um and it's something that i completely forgot about i just always thought he was all in straight away but it's mm-hmm. kind of it's interesting that he's not and i like that journey for him yeah yeah yeah, yeah, and well, well, we'll come on to my thoughts about Lee a little bit later. But yeah, I have I have similar <laughs> similar thoughts thoughts and feelings about that and and the mm. adaptation. I guess I think for me the one that surprised me the most this time round was Mrs. Coulter because I think uh, I probably had a similar like the inverse for for you, Rachel, where it's like when I was reading it as a kid, I was like, well, obviously she just she's just a, a horrible person. She's you know this cesspit of moral filth or whatever, and um, there's no nuance to her what whatsoever. And now it's this time reading it through, I was like, oh, a lot of that is subtext that I just added in my head and isn't really there in the book. And she's a little bit more complicated than that. This is interesting. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so mm. it's, yeah, it's very weird having that realization about a character that you think you know quite well. But it's also really nice and makes it fresh, yeah. I suppose. Yes, so. another example of the TV series has added a lot to these books for me because 100%. she's got so much more baggage, damage. There's yeah. clearly more backstory mm-hmm. imbued into that character in the HBO um, adaptation. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, Ruth Wilson yeah. is super so good. Great. Yeah. yeah, like perfect kiss to Ruth yeah. Wilson. <laughs> I think like we talk a lot about Mrs. Coulter. We love Mrs. Coulter, and I think the reason why Ruth Wilson, uh, like why the TV show has done such a good job, and why Ruth Wilson has done an amazing job, is because like in the book you get. Mrs. Coulter from Lyra's perspective exactly. um, you don't get any of that emotional depth because Lyra doesn't see it mm-hmm. um, but we know it's there because we get 
inklings of like we know how ashamed and embarrassed she is of what happened to her in the sense of like how Lyra was conceived and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and we know that she's had like such a difficult fight to gain the power that she's have uh, that she has um so I think that having Ruth Wilson play her and the decision to bring that emotional depth which we kind of know is there but we don't see because it it's from Lyra's perspective is such a great decision uh, and I'm so glad they did that and all the stuff that they did with the monkey and I know that you guys interviewed the person that was a puppeteer for the monkey oh mm. I, I want them to write fanfic so bad because right? yeah. there's so much in their heads <laughs> yeah and like their decision to have uh, Ruth Wilson kind of mirror a lot of the like monkey-like movements was yeah. a very interesting decision that I really liked Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's so there's so much good stuff. So so much good stuff. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things that we haven't really dwelt on or talked about too much in our podcast is more how Pullman goes about building some of these characters and whether that's mm-hmm. good or bad. I, I think um, a couple of people uh, have emailed us and asked more of our opinions about you know Pullman, good and bad as a writer. Do you guys have any particularly I don't know strong opinions either way? Like, do you think his characterization is particularly good? Do you see a clear like style in how Pullman creates these characters or the types of characters he builds? One of the things that he does that I really enjoy is that he's not overly specific in his descriptions. Yes, we. I think he said this in like a tweet along recently of saying like almost any girl in any classroom could be a Lyra. Yes. Like I've met mm. many Lyras in my life and. Mm you know, anyone could be could be one. And I kind of love that and the idea that Lyra is relatively nondescript. Yeah. Like we know that she, her hair is like distinctive from the Egyptians because she's, I think he mentions that she has fair hair and would stand out in a crowd. But mm-hmm. we also know that her hair is like coarse and unmanageable because Coulter complains when she's trying to brush it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just like little bits that give you like a vague idea, but nothing that's like super obvious. And the similar thing... I know that we're trying not to touch on the second book, but even with Will, we don't know a lot except for that he has yes. a strong jaw and stern yeah. eyebrows. And it's very much more like emotional descriptors. Yeah. And even for like the witches and Seraphina Pecklet, there's just, the descriptions are great and they give you the essence. But I feel like I've never had anything over prescribed to me. Because mm. mm. it's probably partly why I struggle to visualize them, but I enjoy that I do because then anyone <laughs> could be that character. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think on that same kind of note, the fact that he doesn't give us everything uh, in terms of just like plot and things that are happening, like he's clever about the way that he writes and he doesn't patronize his audience. Um, and he assumes that the readers just there's, that the reader will understand and like never underestimates them, which I think is such a good trait. And mm. it reminds me a lot. We talk about Buffy a lot in our podcast, but it reminds <laughs> me of Joss Whedon, the creator, creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's very similar. He kind of expects you to understand and never patronizes you. And I think that's one of the reasons why you can read this book series so many times and find something new in it every time, because like yeah. you're at a different point in your life every time you read it and you'll be looking out subconsciously for different things and you'll find those things. And I just think that's really clever. Mm. Mm, yeah, definitely. One one of the things that um, struck me in just trying to think through my answer to this question, because <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that much, is that there are very few kind of redundant characters or people that are there more for backdrop or description, like as part of the set. Yeah. Um, I think that's important because basically whenever you meet someone, you know that they are going to be important in some sense. They're going to provide some insight for Lyra even if it's kind of exposition like Jerry the sailor 
Yeah. He tells her all about demons and what the hell a demon is. Good uh, old Jerry. <clears throat> here you go, reader. Here's a bit more in, in, info. Um, <laughs> and then obviously the gang that Lyra builds around her. You almost don't just come across, I don't know, the guy in the market stall who has a pashmina hat and so on and so on. Description and lavishing. It doesn't mm-hmm. go anywhere. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're very rarely a sort of set piece. And it's taking the obvious, but every character is complicated and flawed. I think I was trying to rack my brains for someone who is kind of flawless. Mm. And the closest I came to was maybe Father Corum. That's a good because point. he's kind of yeah. kind of without fault. Um He is yeah. he isn't because he's described as being so frail as if that's a fault yes. as well. He's yeah. regularly described as I think he's described as broken at one point, which yeah. is mm-hmm. heartbreaking. Like, yeah. he's not broken. Um, <laughs> yeah. How dare you? But again, that endears you to him, so it doesn't come across as the same kind of a flaw. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And even, I, I like that you get these, like, random shafts of, like, complexity and empathy, or, like, a just you drop into someone else's head for a little moment, and the perspective shifts. So I'm thinking a lot about the time in Trollocent, where we get the guy who's guarding Yorick's armor, and then he's like a bit nervous, and he's the only guy there with a the gun, and he slips over a bit on the ice, and you just start feeling feeling sorry for him, even though like normally he would be, you know, the bad guy that Lyra mm-hmm. and Yorick are trying to get round. Uh, yeah. It's it's just yeah, there's a lot of complexity going on, and it makes the world feel a lot bigger. Which is for for me really really important, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. and I like that you get a lot of that complexity. I do have mm-hmm. I do have one criticism as well because oh. I'm aware that oh. in oof, in our, in our podcast we're <laughs> almost always complimentary of Pullman's. You know, I want to want to mix up the bait with a little bit of critique. <laughs> oh, I, um, I think I've just thought of criticism so, as well. Oh, actually. excellent! All right, yeah. Now, <laughs> oh, here we go. Open the, the floodgates. <laughs> the rest of Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think demons can create a bit of a problem in the book because effectively each character you meet in Lyra's world, you have to meet two characters, mm. and you either well in these books he either addresses that by creating those two rich characters where you get a sense of the personalities both but then by not being able to or not doing that with every character some some people just feel slightly incomplete so uh, the Fardacorum example Sofanax he's this incredibly wise person with all this wealth of life experience and he's trying to guide Lyra as a mentor and a kind of father and so on and so on and his demon is basically a fluffy cat that's quite nice there's no in Northern Lights, at least. In, in yeah. Northern Lights. There's no conversation from this wise animal that's so beautiful and I don't know, yeah, emblematic true. of his wisdom and grace and care. So there there are little parts of that to me that leave me slightly mm-hmm. unsatisfied. If if the demons are supposed to be personalities and full people almost, mm-hmm. you kinda don't get that from some of the mm-hmm. even important characters. That's an interesting point, like, yeah might have loopholed that ever so slightly with the line about how demons don't often talk to other people yes that's true so you don't often hear a demon talk to lyra because they wouldn't yes. be talking to lyra they'd be talking to pan and that's an yeah. aside touche but... good point. that is a good point that is a good point <laughs> he's wily he gets <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's been right asked that before and went shit <laughs> second yeah. edition add that line in but yeah. i do agree like there are some characters that feel a bit more like an npc for that reason mm-hmm. yeah. um i think the only other people that i could you could accuse of being like a non-player character like a sideline person are the staff at bolvanger but that's mm-hmm. also clearly for a reason because yeah. they are supposed mm-hmm. to be so anonymous and bland yes um, and that's yeah. what makes them interesting yes but they are the least personality filled people that i yeah. think he's written <laughs> yeah, yeah true. <laughs> on the on the demon front as well i don't know whether this is a 
this is a criticism or more of a like product of the time, but Rachel and I have spoke a lot about how the gender of demons kind of closes the door for trans and non-binary people and mm-hmm. like how that would work. And we don't really see that in these books. And I know mm. that somebody tweeted Philip about it and he w- they asked him what, what would that what that would look like for people um and he was like oh i don't know like i've never had to think about it or it's something i think actually i think he said it's something that i need to think about so i do appreciate mm-hmm. that because he could have done a jk rowling and just tried to like wreck on everything and be like actually, yeah i've thought about that and it's it's here in the book and it's like no it's not um, <laughs> so i kind of like he seems to be open to that conversation but i think it again not sure if I'm criticizing here or if it's a product of the time that they were mm-hmm. written, but I think it would have opened the door to so many, uh, or like opened the hearts of so many like trans and non-binary people to the books if they could have like seen themselves in it more clearly in the terms of gender and yeah, we just we just don't yeah. appreciate a binary. I think that's the thing. Yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, just don't write in a binary. There's no need for it. I was saying, we talk about how he left the door open ajar ever so slightly with the one character that he wrote that has a demon that is the same gender as himself and talks about how they are a rarity. But we'd very much like for him not to have just left the door ajar. And if he could have like flung it open and invited people in, that would have been a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, yeah, just leaving the door a little bit ajar to be like, oh, if you want to try really, really hard to identify with and canonize something in your Mm -hmm. head to feel included in my books, you can. But it's like, how's about you just write us into the plot, please, Philip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. well, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. And yes, it is a bit of a shame because even in that sense, it's... it's uh, and it's funny as well. I, I interpreted the the demon's um, sex as a reflection of your uh, sexuality rather than mm. your gender or sex or sexual preference, sorry. So, you know, homosexual, heterosexual. But then it's more confusing because then it's like, what will the bisexual people get two demons? Like, <laughs> well, they just get one half of the demon is male and the other half is female. Yeah, yeah it gets or a like mess. an infinite amount yes. of demons for like yes. all the things on the, the gender spectrum. spectrum. Of, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's very Demons confusing. would be everywhere. There'd be too many. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. I don't know. But yeah, the, the binary is problematic. I think it's it's like, in a way, uh, as a product of its time, it's quite interesting that even someone who is like very kind of like stereotypical alpha male Victorian explorer gentleman as Lord Asriel also has this like glorious, fabulous feminine part of his personality. That's yeah. <laughs> like this Yeah, yeah I, I think that that is like not to be sniffed at as the idea that everyone has like a masculine and a feminine feminine mm-hmm. aspect to them. That I really like. But yeah, it's yeah. it's a closed door, <laughs> really. Yeah. Um mm. my tiny criticism as well was oh, also yeah. related to um gender in that like a lot of male characters that we get described are just described as like powerfully built if they're like vaguely powerful then it's like they're powerfully built and if they're old it's like well you could tell they used to be powerful they're not now because they're old but they're still got hints of powerful build but don't worry guys they were they were true men they were strong it's like oh my god it's very frustrating um, yes. It's very hard not to notice now as well because mm. it comes up a lot more times. And again, maybe maybe if we uh, if we do a version of this for the end of the subtle life, it'd be very interesting to talk through Will. But uh, there are many a thought uh, oh, yes. for, for for me about Will. Yeah, um, yeah, and how he we have so many Will gender. thoughts as well. Yeah. But like actually, like like you mentioned, we won't go into it, but obviously we have just done chapter three, and even in the first three chapters, we're like 
there are so many thoughts on will like, yes. so, like yeah. so many different things to talk about yeah, yeah, yeah. and that whole dynamic anyway mm -hmm. let's let's crash um crash into other bits of discussion in terms of like general characters and novel lights so maybe if you can talk a bit about your your favorite characters so people that you mm -hmm. really have enjoyed in this book I'm going to stray away from all of the main characters. Obviously, we all love Lyra. Obviously, we all love Pan. Obviously, yeah. everyone has very strong feelings about Coulter and Asriel. They're all kind of <laughs> spoken for. I have a very strong love of Mark Oster. Yes. I feel like despite the fact that she's mentioned in such a small amount of the book, she has like a re I have a really, really strong image of her. Mm. And it's one of the things that I love that they gave her a little bit more airtime on the TV series yes. because they, they recognized as well that she is this really strong character that needed to be brought forward. And like, I felt like Mark Oster was robbed of her moment with Lyra in the book mm. of being the person that gets to tell Lyra, I was your nurse. I was the person that looked after you. I was the one who like helped you work out your parentage. Whereas for some reason, John Farr gets that moment <laughs> in the book, and weird. I don't know why. And Mark is not even in the and room, they... right? It's like, yeah, yeah. it's weird. It's, it's a weird little chapter, that one. I think it all happens in frustration where she finds out some of that stuff, and it just, mm. it's an odd little chapter. But yeah, Mark Hoster really stands out to me, even though we noticed when we were reading that she does have a demon that happens to change form depending on which version of the books you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, which form do you yeah. picture her with? I guess now with the hawk, but mm. for ages, even though in my version of the book, it says that she has a dog like once. And then the rest of the book says that she has a hawk. Mm -hmm. mm. I pictured her with like a massive, like Irish wolfhound for like a uh, majority of the time that I was reading her because yeah. that would it really just suit her. Sense. Yeah. yeah. A badass mm -hmm. dog, not, yeah. not like a poodle. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That was great. Yeah. Actually. How about you, Faye? Um, who, who are your faves? So I think like, I had to think about this. And I was like, Oh, and I think for me, it just has to be Mrs. Coulter. I know mm. we've talked about her before, but there's so many layers to her. And I just think that every every scene in the book that she's in is made infinitely better because she's in it. And she's actually not in a lot of Northern Lights. I remember when I read it for the first time, I was like, oh yeah, Mrs. Coulter, amazing. And obviously she is a main character. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to read it again for the podcast. And then when we were getting through the podcast, I was like, well, <laughs> where is she she like <laughs> comes in for a little bit and then she's gone again and like but she's always there's always a presence of her because lyra mm. is always thinking about her and like she's chasing lyra and trying to get to lyra so she's always there kind of in the background mm. and i think like her femininity like mixed with her power and her strength is just infinitely appealing to me and i know that she doesn't necessarily use it for good um but i also think that's really interesting because we talk a lot on the podcast about whether we think she would have gone down the path that she went down if she could have acquired power in the mm. same way that men can acquire power in that world. Mm. Um, and it's just, yeah, I don't know. I have, I'm like, my brain is like filled with Mrs. Coulter feelings, but I think if I had to distill <laughs> it down, I think that, yeah, I, I, I find her very appealing, even though what she does is horrendous. And I just think as well that, having that layer that we spoke about earlier, that kind of like emotional layer of of shame. And it kind of sometimes makes you pity her a little bit. Like you mm. want her to have had the life that she deserved and for her not to have been shamed by the magisterium for what happened to her 
and I wonder what would have happened to her if those things hadn't been the way that her life went. And that's surely there's got to be so much fanfic on that, right? I need to find it oh. if there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there has to be. There has to be. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting because I feel like I agree with a lot of what you said, but only for Mrs. Coulter and not for the monkey. Do you know what I mean? Like, I definitely yeah. have, like, a different compartment mm. in my mind for the monkey. <laughs> I'm like, totally. I, yeah, I do genuinely believe she could do anything and, like, she she might do something good, but I don't feel like the monkey would do anything good. I don't mm. know. Mm. It might be too late mm. for him. I'm not, I, I'm not sure. I'm yeah. not sure. It's interesting because when I think about Mrs. Coulter, I don't think about the monkey, but when I think about Lyra, I think about Pan. And yes. I think it's yes. just so apparent that there's that disconnect between Mrs. Coulter and the monkey that you can think of them as like separate beings. Whereas like, if you think Lyra, you immediately think Pan. Because mm. the monkey speaks as well. And mm. that makes it like... Yeah, you never hear him or his opinion. You just see him doing horrible things. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes it real like, yeah, he he well, he is the bad part of Mrs. Coulter, isn't he? But mm. she could look so much better if you just take him out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Is uh, I don't know, is he the bad part or is he just like the true uh, part? The yeah, that's that's kind of how I've always read it that he was like the the physical expression of the things that she's trying to hide, like not like if 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 you read her as I don't think she is, but if you read her, for instance, as a as a psychopathic character, then she is she is the charismatic front, and he is the like the the dark depths of like horribleness that's going on underneath. But of course, they're they're not two different people. She's hmm. he's just kind of the bit that she can't control and is a bit more scary, even though he's also fabulous and beautiful, obviously, because you know Mrs. Coulter couldn't possibly be be that way. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah. Anyway, let's I talk on that for hours. So, what, what about you, Ian? I feel like so I'm just going to charge straight in with the Azrael Brigade. Um, <laughs> so, you know, ca- caveats obviously up front. He's clearly a psychopath. He's clearly a bad father. Uh, there's hints, if not outright, evidence of just child abuse, emotional manipulation. All these things. All definitely of those stand. things could also be true for um, Mrs. Coulter, which is why it's such a yes, good like book, yes, though. Yeah, right. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he's so appealing to me because he's the emblem of uh, someone who's willing and able to make difficult choices for the greater good. Mm. Um, I think we've we, we've touched on the Harry Potter uh, thing a couple of times so far, but that that phrase "greater good" from the Harry Potter series yeah. now freaks me out um, because it's obviously very troubling. But there's something in Asriel's willingness to make sacrifices, even when they are immoral like almost a willingness to be immoral and to be bad for the sake of human progress freedom of thought you know trying to overturn oppression and dictum and all that stuff so yeah i don't know there's something there's something about asriel's uh, raison d'etre like the what he represents in the book maybe less than him as a person that still uh, still speaks to me that i still see uh, a lot of value in even though in a lot of ways he's a hateful arsehole. And also you don't really see very much of that in Northern Lights, so I guess. Right? Uh, a lot of what? He's not, he's not in it very much. No, that's true. He's just there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting as well, because obviously we, we... I completely see your point, Ian, the fact that he is fighting for this greater good. But I think as well to what you said, Amy, about him not really being in Northern Lights and also that's not really explored as much as it maybe will be in the rest of the books. Uh, but in Northern Lights, we see him as being this 
just horrible person. Like he's horrible mm-hmm. to Lyra. He's horrible to Mrs. Coulter. Like he treats people like shit. And I think that for me, I um I kind of read characters on on a more of an emotional level. That's how I relate to them. So like, and I, I look at their personal relationships with the people that they interact with, all the things that they interact with. Mm-hmm. And I think I just saw Asriel just being a, a basically broadly speaking a dick to everyone and i was like i'm out i'm out <laughs> but, uh, fair enough fair yeah. enough so yeah it's it's so it's so interesting yeah and there's there's definitely the, the the conflicted part of that for me is like not everything he does when he's being a total dick is kind of a necessary but unfortunate unavoidable thing on his path to progress yeah, yeah, yeah it's just like you didn't need to be a dick to lyra you didn't need <laughs> yeah, to like yeah. twist her arm and like nearly break her arm uh, same with coulter arguably like um yeah and I, also with like with lyra you know she's not yeah she's, she's not exactly pleasant sometimes yes um, yeah yeah i don't know um, yeah this is it's, it's, this is why i love philip pullman it's just kind of like you can get like such depths and like such different readings even at different times of your life from like mm. different people from yeah it's it's so good i do have a runner-up as well by the oh, way you? in, in yurik wow yurik yeah. is just oh, yeah. how did we not yeah. talk about yurik super good yurik is through. great yeah yurik is great amy's obviously got a list by the way guys so like for, <laughs> for, for any, if you try and pin amy down to a well, what's your preference between a and b she'll give you the alphabet <laughs> i think I think on on um on our wrap up episode I ended up just listing everyone in the book. <laughs> it was really bad. Bah, bah. But I think if we're just focusing on focusing on Northern Lights, I'm gonna have to be a basic bitch and say Lyra because <laughs> she is great. Like we don't <laughs> uh, there's so many people that stand out even though they don't get much airtime. Um like Mark Oster, she's on the list. I think Serafina Peckler as well, Yorick Bernison. The master, I have a really, really soft spot in my heart for the master of Jordan College, mm-hmm. um, just to like concern and care that he emanates for Lyra. But it kind of has to be Lyra because you get to know her so well um, within the course of that first book. Yeah, I don't mm. know. It's a very, it's a very basic answer, but I'm sticking with it. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a good answer. Lyra's great, but also yeah. not. And again, like you said, like Philip yeah. Pullman, it's great that she's can be a little shit. A hundred percent, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to point that out because it reminds me of me when I was a kid, and I would have done the exact same thing, probably. So, yeah. yes, yeah. Okay, cool. So I've got uh, I've got a spicy one here then. So least favorite character, <laughs> like who is who is just the worst? The worst. Rachel, I'll let you go first. <laughs> well, it's obviously Raymond Van Garrett. <laughs> yes, obviously. Oh, he was such a dick. Like when the when John Farr's like, "Oh, we've got this like poor child that's being hunted down by the Magisterium, and we're offering to give her shelter. Are we all cool with this? Because she's like twelve years old and she needs us." And Raymond Van Garrett's like, "Nah, why are we helping her? She's <laughs> <laughs> twelve." Um, <laughs> But he's one of the few people that's like a clear, like out and out, like he's just there to be an antagonist so that you can get mm. nice and like riled up on Lyra's side. Yeah. Yeah. And so that John Farr can deliver the ultimate SmackDown speech yes. in front of a crowd. Yeah, that whole bit, that him. whole takedown is just oh, amazing. So good. Mm-hmm. so good. Yeah. I try to think of people that I just don't like. <laughs> oh, <laughs> unfortunately, the boring scholar that she's locked in the prison with in Svalbard who is a little bit of an unusual character he has the same vibe as Jafar when he's like being the old man in the prison um (laughs) he 
is petty. He is selfish. He is like oh, yeah. the perfect person to put Lyra in prison with who she can like manipulate into mm-hmm. telling her everything she needs to know. But he is so, I love it. He's so self-centered. Like the protagonist of this entire story is talking to him about her like lofty goals to like reinstate the bear king. And he's like, this is all about me. You, were, I think he says something like, oh, you were clearly brought here by fate to help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the perfect like self-centered <laughs> prick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Good what choice. <laughs> For me, it's Asriel. Like, I'm not going to. I can't do it again. I can't. Fair enough. Ooh, no, fair podcast enough. over. Going to leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, it's. I'm not going to go into the whole Asriel thing again, but I will say that I understand why people like him as a character and i think it's very similar to why people like mrs coulter and i love mrs coulter like mm-hmm. i just said but for me there's just something so infuriating about Azriel, just the way that he treats people that is not enjoyable for me to read like i actually don't enjoy reading him like yeah. when mm. it like i get like sometimes when you have an antagonist like mrs coulter or like whoever you're like oh yeah i can't wait to read this chapter because it's yes, mrs yeah. coulter heavy or whatever but with Azriel, i'm just like i don't even want to read it mate do you know what i mean just like mm. don't even bother <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can kind yeah. of predict his attitude before he walks in the room whereas i feel like mrs coulter's a little bit more unpredictable she could go yeah. that's true that's very true direction. yes yeah mm. mm-hmm. so yeah. i think Amy and I, yeah, we've got we've got snap in our response to this, and I think this is one of our least popular opinions. Yeah, don't judge us, <laughs> like Roger. <gasps> just not not because just... we don't. Well, Ian has a different answer to me. So I'll let Ian <laughs> give his answer. Mine is slightly different to Ian's answer about why he doesn't why Roger is his least favorite. Well, all right, there there are two bits. It's just kind of like who the hell is this kid? We don't really know anything about him. He's just there, kind of despite what I said before about most of Pullman's characters having a purpose and um, not just being a prop. Roger, I see as the ultimate prop. He's just like this little puppet that's there to be the sacrificial thing. And I just don't warm to him. I'm just like, it's sad because he's a child. Not because he's a child that you care particularly about because of his character and the personality you've seen and all that stuff. You care sort of by his relation to Lyra, his relationship to Lyra. Not because he is fleshed out as anyone that you should particularly care about mm, mm. beyond just any child dying is bad it's just he's a bit generic and in the sodding audiobooks where <laughs> he's shouting for lyra and the voice actor I, it's just indelibly burned into my brain the number of times i've tried to fall asleep listening to that book or i don't know been in a long car journey you shouldn't be and... trying to fall asleep at the, the very peak of the drama though <laughs> it's just so piercing and loud i just can't i can't really forgive roger for that I mean, interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I, I do shed a tear when Roger dies, but like more because of everything else that's happening, not because I get a, really a sense that I know Roger that well. Like, I would probably cry much more heartily if it was Tony Macarius that was mm. Lyra's best friend, because I feel like I know Tony a lot better, and I feel like Philip Pullman spent a lot of time on. Tony Macarius, whereas Roger's just kind of like, Roger is important because he is Lyra's friend. And mm. it didn't really come to life in the book for me. Mm, but we'll in come the book. Later. Mm. <laughs> it's interesting because we were like, Justice Roger, oh my God, poor Roger. And I yeah. do like Roger, but Ian, I think it's kind of true what you said about you like Roger through Lyra 
mm-hmm. like rather than Roger himself. Like you know how much he means to Lyra. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you kind of have that emotional connection to him. I think that's interesting. I've not really thought about that before, but I think that's that's true because you don't get much time with Roger because basically he's there for the first couple of chapters. Yeah. He's, gone, he's gone, and yeah. then he's he's dead. So. Yeah, you don't much of him. What a heartbreaking summary. No, no sympathy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. We do actually like Roger, Roger but that was very no, deadpan yeah. summary of yeah. his journey, wasn't it? <laughs> us, us too, despite what we just said. But yeah, just mm. just the characterization is my least favorite. If that makes sense. Mm. So, who do you guys most identify with from the book? Uh, anyone that you think? Yeah, that's me. I grew up thinking I was Lyra when I was reading the books as a kid. I begged my mum when they were filming the Golden Compass film, they held auditions in the south of England and in like Oxford and Cambridge and a bunch of the towns. And I begged my mum, I begged and begged and begged for her to drive me to Cambridge so I could join the open, like join the queue of like thousands of girls at the open audition. And she wouldn't let me and they probably wouldn't have wanted me because I was too Northern and... So it's fine. I'm not bitter about it. <laughs> How gutted were you when it was like an undiscovered schoolgirl is is playing Lyra? Were you like, Mom? <laughs> well, I wasn't gutted when I watched the movie, obviously, because even mm, as a fair. child, I was outraged at the film. Um, <laughs> but I was very heavily identified with Lyra. Um, yeah. Reading through as an adult, I heavily identify with the cringiest moments that Lyra has, where she's like. <laughs> blatantly lying and nobody's believing her or she's having she's making some kind of weird assumption that you're like I could see myself doing that when I was little and mm-hmm. it pains me mm-hmm. but as an adult reading through I think I'd like to say I really identify with Seraphina Peckler but I, or like Lee Scoresby or one of the like adventurous like mm-hmm. yeah air types but I think in my heart I'm just a far decorum oh that's great yeah no like potter around reading books and have a big cat if that's okay <laughs> please can i just have a cat <laughs> yeah that's great we should all aspire for that <laughs> what about you Kay? for me i had to think about this one because like, i think if i'd have read it as a kid i probably would have also identified straight away with lyra mm. but when i was reading through the notes and thinking about it i think i'd I identify with yorick a lot just like his he's generally a bit grumpy prefers his own company until he finds like the people that he really cares about, like Lyra and Lee, mm-hmm. and then he'd do anything for them. And then that's very me. Like I have to warm to people yeah. before I can like trust them. And then I'm like all in. And yeah, I yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very Yorick. And I was like, hmm. Yeah, but I did have to think about it. There wasn't, um, like when I was reading it, there wasn't anyone that jumped out to me immediately. I did have to have a little think about it. But but yeah, Yorick. We love Yorick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Fada and Yorick, that's what I'll be picturing now. The other side of the microphone. <laughs> yeah. What you guys are doing. <laughs> oh my God. Slight, slightly gruffer tones than you have mm. on the podcast, mm. but you know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. How, yeah. how about you, Ian? Uh, obviously, Serafina. Yeah. Uh, is, you know, very much like me. Uh, no, that's for, for anyone who's for anyone who's listened to our previous episodes. The amount I've sort of uh, maybe piss taken a little bit about Serafina's hippie hippie. You earthy are also a massive hippie, but like, like that. she's yeah. a businesswoman and her business is with nature. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. Yeah, I do, I found this question difficult um, mm. because it it all feels slightly too self-flattering for me. I don't know if I <laughs> particularly identify with a lot of many people, but probably probably Asriel. Really? Um, 
Not not as in, oh yeah, I'm just super great, smashing down all of all of the barriers to freedom and expression, all that stuff. But I think a lot of what he feels is important in the world or to the world, I tend to agree with. Not a big fan of religion, not a big fan of generally being obliged to think one way or having lines of I don't know, thought inquiry, particularly the freedom of scientific inquiry, for example, is just something I really care about. Yeah. Uh, and I think growing up, maybe as a... Yeah, I, I, did read the, I did read these probably 12, 13 as well, but I think I reread them when I was 15, 16. And the whole debate around, hmm, do I th- see anything in religion? That was a big part of my early teens. And these books and Asriel's perspective on that whole thing was definitely a kind of... I don't know, cutting force in how I now view the world. So I kind of struggle mm. to lose a bit of Azriel's influence. <laughs> I feel like Faye might jump through the I screen know, at any I moment know. and just like, <laughs> joke me, <laughs> get down. I, I actually agree with a lot of what you're saying. I'm very similar yeah. in uh, when it comes to religion and things like that. Um, so yeah, I totally, mm. totally see that. So yeah, there's some, there's some identification with Azriel yeah. there, but I, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't see myself as an Azriel. You're definitely more emotionally open, open than him. And Thanks, less, less generally abusive. Less, less generally abusive. Wow, damned not, with fake grace. Less. <laughs> Good, that's concerning. Um, and yeah, you? and again, uh, I think I'm going to be basic and just say Lyra, but mostly because I like, I really like her path through this book, and particularly in rereading this time round. Um, I was struck by as she relates to what you were saying earlier, Faye, about her f- choosing her family and also kind of like finding who she is in this world and kind of chopping and changing about how she identifies and like who it is that she wants around her at that particular point in time and just trying to find her feet and work out who she is. And I was like, yeah, that feels like most of my life. (laughs) So I definitely, definitely really feel that about Lyra. And also like that she is super keen if she's just like I'm on a boat I'm gonna learn everything about boats now (laughs) that's 100% me with anything that I'm doing so yeah yeah Mm -hmm. for sure a little bit of Lyra feelings Mm -hmm. all right uh so sexiest character sexiest character (laughs) Colter that's it (laughs) Uh, move on (laughs) yeah i agree although i will throw lee into the mix there because rich knows i had quite the journey with lee scoresby throughout this reading (laughs) quite the journey oh quite the journey (laughs) just because i just really didn't see him in that way in the first read through and then in the second read through Mm. i was like holy shit he's quite sexy there's like the bit where i think it's in armor where he's like laid on Yorick's armor, like, <laughs> yes. guys, like, come and get it. And I'm like, <laughs> fucking sexy. But me, I'll come and yeah, get it. I'll do it. <laughs> With his, like, gun, and I'm like, um, okay, cool. So, yeah, I'm um, <laughs> half Coulter, half Lee. What a, what a great little team we'd make all together. I think that'd be wonderful. Yeah, that'd be for me, team. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Coulter, for sure. Mm. And also, again, I'm, I'm sure I've said this before, but, like, audiobook voice Coulter. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, has a massive crush on the person who did the the audiobook narration on Coulter. It's it's a little disturbing. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember you saying I have never listened to the audiobooks. <gasps> it will change your answer. Oh wow! <laughs> oh right, yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah. Very There's sexy two different voice. versions of the audiobooks, aren't there? So I'm interested. To know. Oh, I don't know the other one. one. Well, this it's the full cast. There's the BBC abridged one, the BBC dramatization. Then there's like yeah. the the one that is the unabridged version but with the full cast so the one ian's talking about the one where philip pullman is reading the like mm-hmm. snippets of text 
not yeah. the BBC dramatization one. I think it's done by it's Chivers. Oh, no. Chivers Audiobooks, I think, is the like, publisher. <laughs> I thought you were na- naming the actor. <laughs> I was like, mm. no. I mean, we did stalk her down for where, like. Where does she live? <laughs> whenever, whenever we first talked about this uh, yep. a year ago, mm. I now can't remember her name, but yeah, she did a great job. He definitely remembers her name. Um, <laughs> I think. For me. Wait, so is, is your answer Coulter as well? Yeah. Okay, interesting. I find the monkey too scary to be attracted to her, I that feel. That's true. I wouldn't want him in the room. Yeah. No. You'd no, no, <laughs> have to true. stay outside. You'd have to stay outside. I think maybe if we're going for like some power play, maybe, sure, but whatever. <laughs> I think maybe I'd just go for the slightly safer space of Serafina Pecola. I feel mm. like, you know, mm-hmm. you'd be in good hands there, basically. Mm. She'd be a very like grounding influence, I yeah. think. I can, yes. I can yeah. see being yes. like really, yeah. Provide a lot of stability. <laughs> yes, yeah, which is which is what I go for. <laughs> so yeah, and then I guess we wanted to talk a bit more about um, motivations and what drives characters because this is really what I think fleshes a lot of them out very nicely in the books. So who are you most looking forward to seeing more from, or um, who do you kind of admire in terms of their goals? in the book. I feel like, Ian, we might know your answer already. But anyway. <laughs> Rachel. Roger. Yeah, Rachel, what do you think? I'm always interested in Coulter because she's such an enigma and all of the things that drive mm. her because she's got this like poise and this control and this power and it's and yet she's kind of unpredictable. You don't know where she's going and I'm, I'm here for that. I'm intrigued by it. But to be honest, we left Lyra in the last book in such a vulnerable place and she spent the whole of Northern Lights, building this family, building this network, finding her feet. Mm. And now she's walked over a bridge into the sky, having l- basically lost her brother at this point. Mm. And I'm, I just, I just want to protect Lyra. <laughs> and like, I think this is the thing is like, I, I, we all know it's her journey. Like the witches talk about her all the time. Like she's fancy. Um, <laughs> we know, we know it's all about her. So it's kind of the boring answer, but also I feel like she's such a well fleshed out character and her motivations of despite you guys hating roger (laughs) it's still all about roger it's still all about him like she's been motivated to like find him when he went missing and then now that she's lost him she's like her entire motivation has kind of come off the back of well i'm going to do the opposite of the people that hurt him and the people that took him away from me Mm. and like she's just got so much going on and then she's just still so innocent and kind of full of wonder at the same time. And mm. um, even though like she's hurting and I just, I want to protect Lyra. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> well, fair, fair enough. I think Lyra could do with all the protection she can get mm, at this point in time. Um, <laughs> what, what do you reckon? Faith? Sorry. You uh, nearly became Ray there. <laughs> fine. Fine. I'll take it. Um, for me, I think Serafina, because I think in Northern Lights, especially, she's just a bit of an exposition machine. Like she comes in, <laughs> like flies alongside Lee, tells him everything that he needs to know about Lyra. And we we just don't see that much of her. Or the bits that we see, we don't really delve into her character. So I'm looking forward mm. to seeing more of her and just the witches in general, I think. Yeah. In mm. terms of admiring motivations, I think for me, like Lee and Yorick, just the fact that like they would do mm. anything for Lyra and like their friendship as well, I really enjoy. And it's just about time that she had people like that in her life and that are willing yes. to protect her at, at any cost. So 
I think their their motivations are probably my favorite in the book. Mm. Yeah. I think maybe just to change up my answer so that it's not just Azrael, 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 and Star Warrior, Azrael. Um, probably Yurik, because like at the end of Northern Lights, he's now king of the bears. Mm. They True. are in some massive battle with the Magisterium. Mm-hmm. Well, fuck, what's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, assuming he wins. Yeah. Uh, hoping he wins. Yeah. He's got a fucking army of bears. Just badass. <laughs> yeah. Anything could happen. And he's, he's got to kind of like restore beardom and what it means for him, given all of the turmoil and stuff. So yep. he's got, got, got quite a challenge on his, on his paws mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's Lee... And this is very difficult to answer, given that obviously we all know what happens next uh, in the books. But I think Lee in Northern Lights for me is kind of like starts off as not not quite cold. It's not quite the right word, but I think he can be a bit intimidating at first when we first mm-hmm. meet him. Or like that's how I read him through Lyra's eyes. And he takes a while to kind of warm up to and to get to know him and even I would say at the end of Northern Lights you're not entirely sure how like how much he's in with Lyra's Mm. lot yet if you Mm -hmm. see what I mean and that's definitely someone that I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops because he's he's definitely in his heart is in even if he doesn't know it yet you know (laughs) he's there he's there yeah yeah so looking Mm. forward to more of his journey basically Mm mm-hmm it's like, it's a bit of a musketeer's journey. He's going from yes. all for one to one for all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Beautiful. <laughs> so uh, maybe just before we jump on to uh, adaptations, because I really want to talk about TV oh, yeah. series and, well, the first and the upcoming one. Mm-hmm. Very excited. That hopefully isn't far away. I mean... I mean, they we, haven't said yet. We know, but... we know it's coming for the US, mm. but frankly, who gives a shit about the US? <laughs> <laughs> all right that's not where we are mm. anyway so are there any characters that just really like scare you or uh, in the sense of the pullman lets us get closest to seeing a villain in mm. oh, rich do you want to answer this one first have you got an answer is it because you don't know what to say yet no i, do, I <laughs> i've got notes written down rich i know exactly what i'm gonna say how dare you <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know that anyone's made particularly scary in the TV series. People are definitely really intriguing. Mm. Mm. I am obsessed with Boreal in the TV series. Mm. I am obsessed with his, like, cool, cold facade. And I don't particularly enjoy when he calls the um, Magisterium guy ratty. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) doesn't do it for me. But (laughs) I'm obsessed with his suits. I'm obsessed with how slick he is. And I'm really here for his motivations because they are so separate from the Magisterium and separate from Coulter. And, like, he never really struck as a character for me, particularly in the books, as anyone mm. that as anyone that wasn't just another old white guy, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. changing up his motivations in the TV series and giving him those extra layers, just giving his character a bit more screen time as well. I'm I'm really here for that story. Yeah, definitely. Obviously really here for more Ruth Wilson. Like if anyone was gonna scare me, it would be being in a room with <laughs> Ruth Wilson would <laughs> I think I'd have a heart attack. Um <laughs> Miss Coulter and the way she's portrayed her is amazing and I'm really, really here for that journey. Mm. Um yeah, I mean We'd all love to see a bit more of James McAvoy, really, wouldn't we? But apparently coronavirus might have taken some of that away from season two. Yeah. So. Tricky. I would have liked, yeah. I'd loved to have seen what they would have written for that as well. Mm. Because yeah. like in the same way that they've added so much more to Mrs. Coulter's backstory, they've clearly like rewritten him 
quite a lot <laughs> in terms yeah. of making it I wonder if, it's easier to empathize with i wonder if they will either add that episode to the third season or they will release yeah. the script if they're not going to do anything with it so. um mm. that would be interesting i think yeah for me if i'm thinking about the book then i would probably just say the magisterium in general um just the, mm, yeah. the yeah. overarching threat of them and like what they want to do and in northern lights it's still not really that clear what they want mm-hmm. um as like an entire like organization if you would call it that we kind of know like what they're dabbling in but i don't think we know the full extent of of what they want and yeah i think they're kind of like overarching like ominous presence over northern lights the book is probably the closest thing for me to be something to be scared of because i think if you think yeah. about like mrs coulter as a villain she's not scary because we we know the depths underneath it and we can kind of dig down into that it might have been different like i said if i'd have read it as a kid maybe i would have found her scary because obviously obviously the things that she is doing to children but reading it as an adult mm. i think she can delve more into that emotional depth whereas the magisterium as a whole is just we've not really penetrated it yet in terms of where we are with the books um so yeah i would say the magisterium Mm. they are a good villain yeah i think my the closest one i see in the books is the golden monkey yeah um Mm. just like the the ripping he's different (laughs) and like i don't know we're trying to you know yeah he's just like this super sinister conniving little shit basically um it's weird how he feels so separate right yeah 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 he's less well he's not conflicted that's the thing culture has depths and yeah um undercurrents but the monkey is just kind of like unadulterated yeah at least the book Um, the book version i guess yeah yeah and from the tv series i totally agree about boreal yes Um, (laughs) me too yeah and is it arian bakari is Mm -hmm. that the guy's yeah that's his name in it yeah his portrayal is like super cold yeah he's so Uh, yeah very very good and i like that when they were doing the comic-con q a he seems to be the the only one who's been given like the full carte blanche of villain you know what i mean yes. he's just kind of like i never get to play villain yeah, so i'm yeah. really happy to just be yes. like i'm going full villain on this and it's great he's the only character almost like obviously he's it's still complex and it's still really well written and stuff but he's he's the only one where i don't really feel like we're going to get to empathize with him that much he doesn't particularly have any like greater good type lofty goals he's definitely just how do I get power? How can I yes. use that power in a way that will make me happy? Okay. Yes. And like that's the most yeah. clean cut thing I can think of that is like villain, villain. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I kind of like tentatively put him down for a book as well, because I agree a hundred percent that you don't see him in the book that much, but I guess, like, in a weird way, I was probably thinking along the same same lines as you, Faye, but coming at it from a different approach, which is that he is sort of that... He is a face of that faceless power that is just seeking power for power's sake mm-hmm. and we don't get any depth to him at all. But he's the one who is, like, you know, completely manipulating events with the Egyptians and, like, seems to always be one step ahead, seems to always have, like, ten times more resources than they do and just is a little bit unnerving as... Mm. I don't know, just the kind of careerist gobbler, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Which is never good. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. Let's talk a bit about adaptations Mm -hmm. so obviously we're going to talk about the amazing tv adaptation uh we can talk about the film as well actually i didn't even consider that Mm. but 
How dare you? Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're all fans of the TV adaptation. Uh, so who gets your vote, I guess, for most improved, most change or something in the TV series versus the book for Northern Lights from a character perspective? For me, it's two big ones. Yeah. Roger. Yes. Lewin yes. does an amazing job with Roger. He oh, is so, so innocent. He is so pure, but he actually has a personality. Yes. Um, which, as you pointed out, Roger doesn't isn't particularly afforded a very large one in the book, and he has done a great job of like, I yeah, I do care a lot when Roger dies in the TV series. He's <laughs> yes. done a very good job. He's very sweet, and Marcos there because they just improved her storyline massively by letting her come to fight with the men. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So like by allowing Marcos to come along and giving her that expanded storyline and more of a solid relationship with Lyra, I feel like mm. that was a really, really clever decision and a highlight of the adaptation because I felt a little bit cheated of some cost of time in the books, I think. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. We get a bit of time with her on the boat and then she kind of appears to Lyra for emotional support in some clouds at one point in Lyra's mind's eye. And <laughs> that's that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I articulated that so strangely. <laughs> um, just just as like a, a random side note, I feel like since you brought up Marcosta, Amory Duff's portrayal of Marcosta kind of either got flack from the fandom and like I, I feel like I struggled with it as well because I love her as an actor but it wasn't it wasn't my Mark Oster and I got a little bit bitter mm. betty about that how, how did you guys feel feel about that particular portrayal I definitely had the same initial reaction as you but I've it's grown on me a lot the portrayal I think um the initial like the book Mark Oster is a very like strong female figurehead she's very much a matriarch and mm -hmm. a little bit one note because of that because of Lyra's impression of her through the books True. I think giving her that depth of emotion was like a little bit su surprising at first from what yes. I've envisioned from the books but I'm here for it any any time you're gonna like flesh out and give more depth to a woman that didn't get that time and space in the book I'm just choosing to be behind it um yeah it isn't the Mark Oster I pictured but she did a really good job. What do yeah. you think, though? <laughs> I, I kind of, I do agree with you, and I think a lot um, in our TV show episodes. I think a lot of the things that we said about these particular actors and how they were portraying different characters, we caveated it heavily with the fact that they're going through this book in eight episodes, and although that's a longer time mm -hmm. that we got with the film, it's very difficult for those, especially those minor characters that you might relate to in the books to get that level of depth from them and how little time they have is really, really difficult. Um, because mm. I think we had a lot, we had that with Daphne Keane, even as Lyra. At the end of the season, we were like, fucking hell yeah, Daphne did an amazing job. But in those first couple yeah. of episodes where there's so much exposition, there was a few episodes mm. where like she barely had any lines. Like she was always yeah. there, but it took a while to kind of warm to her portrayal of Lyra because we just weren't seeing as much of her as we thought we were going to in terms of like her emotional depth and I think it's pretty much the same for like all the characters the only ones that I would say were, are an, an exception is Ruth Wilson and Lin-Manuel Miranda and I think for Ruth Wilson I think because I personally think it was a conscious decision for them to choose to focus the season more around uh, Mrs. Coulter and have Ruth as being that yeah. kind of like pinnacle person as mm. much as they pushed mm. Daphne Keane I think that was most likely a conscious choice from them and yeah with Lynn I could 
I'll die on that hill for Lane. I think he did a fucking amazing <laughs> job of Lee Scoresby, and I will fight it to yeah. my death. But yeah, I think I, well, I pretty much kind of answered your question there as well in terms of like which yeah. of the characters do I think were like kind of improved? Not improved because I think like I loved Mrs. Coulter in the book, um, but like we said before, they gave her so much more depth. And yeah, with Lynn, I think he did such a great job. And he obviously got a lot of backlash as well. Mm. And I think for me, because I came at it not seeing the Golden Compass film, I think a lot of people took mm. Sam Elliott playing uh, Lee because yeah. he. I've now seen the film and I, I, I've seen how good a job Sam Elliott did as playing Lee Scoresby. But I think a lot of people took that image of Lee and have just imprinted it everywhere. Whereas like, actually in the book, if you read his description, he has dark hair and a mustache. He is quite a younger person. And I think Lynn did a, a great job. And I'll shut up about Lynn now, mm. I could go on about it forever. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to employ yeah. me as his like personal hype person. I think I'd do a great job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think I think I agree. I was probably in the skeptical, I, I want more 10 gallon hats and handlebar mustaches, mm. please, and wear the spurs and uh, give me a proper Texan originally but i totally agree that lynn did such a great job and he's so good just in general um that even if he's not how i pictured lee in the book i'll just forgive it yeah i I Um, still i still picture him as like lee as a character as older but i'm 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 quite good at compartmentalizing like a book a book version of a character and an adaptation version of a character so i'm just gonna just gonna have both of them and it'll be Mm. great (laughs) yeah but no I, i think i think for me the most kind of improved and changed is Coulter. Mm. Like, she's yeah. given so much more, oh, this is kind of why she's a bit psychopathic and evil-looking. Well, not evil-looking, but evil-acting. Mm. There's clearly a depth there. I think the whole suicidal instinct, clear mental health issues, not just, she's a hateful person. Yeah. That's why she's being a dick to everyone. The TV adaptation really did some sort of great things with the undercurrents of Coulter's character. And I think even if it hadn't necessarily been Ruth Wilson playing it, I think the way that they wrote the character would have been good. And Ruth Wilson just kind of amplified that. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, a thousand oh, fold. Yeah. <laughs> it was excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, definitely Roger, just to have some something more to hang our hat on uh, made me cry hundreds more tears in the adaptation to see that happen. <laughs> it was just... Horrible. I like that they changed the dynamic between him and Lyra so much more because I feel like Lyra was just a bit of a shit to him in the book. There was still an element of of that in terms of like the dynamic of their friendship, but you know, he actually could give as well as he could get, you know, and I, I really like that about that change. And I uh, I will be eternally grateful for this TV adaptation for giving me a version of Mrs. Coulter that I could... I could want Lyra to go to London with her because I wasn't expecting that. That was such an amazing surprise for me to be like, yeah, go with her. She clearly has your best interests at heart. What could possibly go wrong? And I was like, oh, wait, what's going on here in my brain? I know what's happening. Yeah, And yet I'm so fully on board with her. It's just incredible. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. We would also love to pick your brains, I guess, about like if you could commission a spin-off series, you know, maybe you could write write your own fanfic or maybe you can just like... Commission Pullman. Win, win the lottery and then just like give Pullman all, all of the lottery <laughs> money just to be like, write this now. What would you what would you want him to dig into and and why? <laughs> I would commission uh Philip Pullman to write me a sitcom, friend style, called A Home with the Bears. <laughs> uh sat on Svalbard. I want to find out what happened to 
the she bears that oh, are locked in bears. a pen or on a dais or something that's separate from all the other bears. I wonder what's <laughs> happening behind the scenes. Maybe, maybe less of a sitcom and more like a Real Housewives situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on um, I wish we got to know more about bear culture. We hear like little mm. bits, and we hear like enough to like flesh out the world and the way that Lyra is experiencing it. But there has to be like a rich culture in bear society that we don't get to know about and i yeah. want to know i want to know the full yorick story i obviously also want to know the full culture story and everything like that but yeah. no i think the bears are the least explored considering yes. they're such they make such a huge impact on you you realize that you don't know that much about what's what's a day in the life of an average bear like that's what i want <laughs> yes. yeah yeah for sure yeah <laughs> I would read that. I'd read that. Too. I would definitely read that. Oh my God. It could be a David Attenborough style, like docudrama. <laughs> that would be so great. Mm-hmm. Mm. Real bear wives of Svalbard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Uh, I think for me, I feel like the theme of this for me has either been Lee Scorsby or Mrs. Coulter. And I'm going to say, yeah, strong things. Talk about both of them. So, Mrs. Coulter, because I really, really want her backstory. And when we spoke to Russell Dodgson, who's the VFX supervisor on the show, he mentioned that when they got Ruth Wilson in, they actually did that. They like talked through her entire backstory and worked it out between them. So that is written down Mm. somewhere. And I want it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do you want it though? Because I... Like, uh, I I can't I want I I feel comforted that it exists, mm. but I kind of don't want to know it because I feel like she's more powerful to me as a mystery. Interesting. Mm, I know. kind of agree with you, but also I'm a very very impatient person, and if I know it's out there, <laughs> like say if it ever entered the world, I would have to read it. Like even if I thought like oh maybe I don't want to know that information because she is better as a mystery, I'd just read it anyway. That's just who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I did, uh, when we were speaking to Brian Fisher, who was like part of that whole journey with Ruth Wilson as well, I did try to like, I tried my hardest for the whole fandom to plant the seed, but they could just anonymously publish it as fan fiction somewhere on the internet. <laughs> and then it, then it would be there and it'd be out there. And maybe if we just read everything about Mrs. Coulter in fan fiction, then maybe one day we'd have read it. Mm. But I don't know if I don't know if that seed got planted properly let's, yet. Let's <laughs> we'll see. Let's we'll see. Hope. I think that Rage and I also planted that seed with Russell, so maybe our collective seed yes. planting will come on. Encourage. We can do this. We can do this. Um, I think my other one. One of our listeners tweeted us the other day, and they were talking about Lee and Azriel as kind of like a ship fanfic, and that is something. I've never ever considered before Lee and Azriel as a couple. Lee and How amazing would that be? And so strange and so interesting. That would be amazing. And it just made me think so much about about that in general. The listener was saying that they think that Lee would teach Azriel more about being a decent human being. Uh, and I'm like, he maybe he could teach him how to be a good dad. I was literally about to say, like, I don't know how that would happen. I don't know how they'd even meet. And then I was like, no, Asriel obviously hires Lee to take him on one of his many expeditions. <laughs> and then they're stuck in a, in a balloon for however many months. And of course they'd bond. Like... <laughs> see, see I, I also went into the immediate kind of like headspace of like, when does this happen? What is their meet cute? Yeah. And I was like, you know, okay, very minor spoiler for The Subtle Knife really tiny but there is a scene in which 
Lee is in a bar and he's surrounded by old Arctic hands and they're all kind of like, you know, having a chat about stuff in the Arctic. Mm. And I was like, that sounds like a kind of place that Elviel might hang out at some <laughs> yeah. point. So maybe they'd like, you know, meet over a drink of, of vodka mm. or, you know, bear whiskey or whatever it is they, mm-hmm. they drink. Yeah, I feel like they would actually be quite well matched because they could definitely... Well, I think Lee could teach Asriel quite a lot about, you know, emotions and things. But um, they're also quite what's... similar in terms yeah. of being quite rash, rational about things. Like Lee's thing about, like, I am just here because I have a contract and these are yeah. my terms. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I mean, despite my pro Asriel vibes, I was actually thinking, what's in this for Lee? <laughs> Like, don't do don't do that to Lee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lee maybe, deserves better. Yeah, but Lee deserves kinder. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to see Lee adulterated in the relationship with Azrael. That would just be. Also, you yeah. do look at that and you go, Hester. She's a hare. She's a prey animal. Stell Maria is a predator. <laughs> yeah. Like that Great relationship point. is a very predator prey relationship mm, of Azrael and Lee at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Maybe that's why it works. I don't know. <laughs> well, Ian, after, so my, I mean, can you trump that? My my spinoff is is far a far more pedestrian, I fear. But like the call to backstory, yes. But also when Fadakorum talks about the spy flies being Afric things, yes. There's this whole thing of clearly there are curiosities in Lyra's world in the south as well as the north. I mean, where the hell do the spy flies come from? And if Fadakorum knows about them. More adventures of Fadakorum, please. Just <laughs> infinitely more of that. And or Coulter's travels. Maybe they both were in the same place at the same time and just didn't know. That would be an it. Could be something cool in that. The two of them. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think a bit of a bit of Africa mm-hmm. from yeah. whichever characters happen to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I have like lots of lots of things that I would like more information about. Um, one would be what the hell all the witches were doing um you know when uh lyra and yorick see that big swathe of them going through the sky i think like being a fly on the wall in terms of like all the witch politics would be really really fascinating i would definitely like to see that being fleshed out quite a lot more but also maybe a bit more and i'm hopeful that the tv series might do this because they kind of set this up a bit better at the end of the first series maybe a bit more about what happens to the kids going back from Bolvanger, what experiences Mark Oster and Fardacorum and John Farr have with that, basically. Mm. So fairly standard like plot filler, plot filler fanfic, <laughs> but this is what I would like to see. I about that, though. <laughs> like what happens to those kids without the their mm. demons? Like who's looking after them? Because that's gonna be quite the know. job. But Kyle's yeah. on a mission to reunite the the kids with their demons and the Egyptians are on a mission to reunite the kids with their I think between yeah. mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. Like who? Who do you think you are? Kind of style, <laughs> demon reuniting. Oh. <laughs> well, like demon, oh. like uh, speed dating to work out which one you have the best connection with. Then oh. <laughs> <laughs> you just left with one kid who has two demons. <laughs> You're like, oh, sad. <laughs> one kid's just missing them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So much, so much to think about. So much extra mm. to think about. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I guess. To maybe wrap this up, then we when when we did our uh, read read through watch through watch through review of yeah. um, season one, we did a kind of casting creative award uh, as we went. So each episode, we'd like nominate someone as a cast award for the episode, and then a, a sort of creative for 
I don't know, some of the effects or um, costume design or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, be really keen to uh, get your thoughts on, perhaps just for the whole season, won't make you go episode by episode. Who would you give a cast award and uh, to what or to whom would you give a creative award for season one? I'm just going to give the really obvious answer. That's the problem because we've been gushing over her all episode. But it's <laughs> Ruth Wilson and the monkey purely because they both added so much depth. The animation on the face of that monkey, the like mm. little nuances of like, so like just the combination of, so that's like award for the VFX and the monkey puppeteer team and an award for Ruth in combination for their great work together. Mm. Um, nice. Because yeah. that was the thing that literally made me like shout at the screen and have like emotional reactions <laughs> and be like, yes, oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> that I think nothing else really had those same feelings for me and yeah, yeah when, oh, when she slaps his oh, little God, monkey paw away um, and he's trying to hold a hand and like yes. i never thought i'd feel that mm. for the little monkey prick that's horrible yeah. and evil yeah. and like we've been talking all the time like we love we love mrs coulter and then we're like oh but we hate that monkey but in the tv series <laughs> i don't hate the monkey mm. you're mad mm-hmm. for him they're the same person. You're feeling bad for Mrs. Coulter. I know. It's like, yeah. oh, so many confused <laughs> yeah. emotions. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think for me, because uh, Rachel went Mrs. Coulter, I'm going to give my cast award to Lynn Manuel Miranda. <laughs> Yeah. What? What a surprise! <laughs> what a shock, um, and I won't, I won't go into detail about that, but I think my creative award because I would probably go for the VFX, but I'm not as well. But I'm not going to. I'm going to go for costume. So mm. when we spoke to Caroline McCall, who's a costume designer, although I've enjoyed every single one of the conversations we've had, that one really blew my mind because I watched the season as it aired and then I watched it again like quite recently and I was making notes for the interview and I noticed a few things like uh when Lyra and Mrs. Coulter are in Mrs. Coulter's apartment Mrs. Coulter and Lyra are both wearing blues and greens but then when they move out of the apartment uh Mrs. Coulter's wearing red so we asked Caroline that question and she said that with Mrs. Coulter wearing blues and greens, they were trying to mirror the Northern Lights because that's what Lyra wants. That's where she wanted to be. Mm. And just yeah, the yeah. amazing like intricacy and detail that they went into with those costumes, like with Egyptians, they put um, lots of like, their, they made their demons really apparent in their clothing. They had like shirts that had like little birds on and things like that. And even with Lee Scoresby's outfit, they were telling us, uh, she was telling us about how uh, difficult that costume was to put together because they had so little time to do it and it was really expensive. And like they had like a week to turn it around and like Lee's wearing like three coats on like two belts or something. It was just uh, crazy <laughs> for them to do it. So I think, yeah, I would give my creative award to the, to the costume designers and that whole team. Mm. Cool. Yeah, do very well deserved, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, I guess, do you feel with your interviews that every time you interview someone someone new, you're just kind of like, gosh, so much so much detail has gone into this. And also like it it kind of like each each one that you did last is the most impressive. And then you're just like, wow, and then there's all of this stuff that we've just realized that you've just talked about. And then there's all of that stuff. Totally. Yeah. Every yeah. time we do an interview, I want to cry because mm. everyone's so nice and tell us amazing things that we would never have guessed. And also it's just really really nice to see how much everyone involved in the show is a big fan of the books because it could have easily Mm. gone down the route of like okay we're going to make his dark materials we know it's going to make us some money and we're going to do it as quickly as we can and in a way that will make us the most amount of money and get us the most amount of press but they clearly haven't done that Mm -hmm. so whenever i see people like with obviously everyone has critiques we certainly do but whenever i see people talking about it in a way that's like 
oh, I didn't like this and I didn't like that. And I think they did a shit job of this. I'm like, you don't know. <laughs> you yeah. don't know. How dare you? Like, these are real people that are trying their best yeah. and they're all fans of the books. And yeah, I'm just like, you can't say yeah. that. You can't say it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and also yeah. you you just like, it's so little effort for you to criticize two seconds of footage, but probably like 70 different people worked on yeah. that over months and months. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's really, really hard also, to do. where's your version? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> sure adaptation. Better be sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I think that was basically all the kind of questions we had for you guys. But um, perhaps before we wrap up, is, is there anything you guys want to ask us? Uh, it feels a bit like we've interrogated you. So <laughs> turn it back around. Absolutely. We always ask everyone that we ever talk to on our podcast what their demon is. So please tell us what your demons are. <laughs> this is actually an exclusive because we have we have decided this, but we haven't we haven't told people yet. Our <laughs> demons are very shy. Yes, that's right. We've only really done like options. Yeah. So uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, you go first. Yeah, so mine is a European otter, mm. as yet unnamed, but I'll, I'll talk a bit about the process of deciding our demons, because it was a whole process. We got, like, very nerdy about it. But definitely just because, like, they're very playful, very enthusiastic. Like, I feel like my demon would live in a wood. I don't know why, but I just I just <laughs> feel that in my soul. So, you know, had to go with that. I don't know. It's just something about me that's very ottery. Yeah. Weirdly, although Hermione Granger's Patronus is an otter, I kind of don't. I'm a, a little bit Hermione-ish, but I don't. I don't like that. That's like the very strong otter association that people have because that's not yeah. really why I have it. But yeah. anyway, that's me. That's true. You I also think. do like to eat clams off your chest and like <laughs> that's, just smash that's, shells. That's actually a sea otter, Ian. <laughs> oh, so, otter knowledge. Like... <laughs> Throw it down. Um, yeah, and mine. Uh, mine is a dog, kind of. Terrier-ish, the scrappiest, small, smallish dog, something with a bit of cheek. Hopefully, nothing too yappy or aggressive. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I'd like to think anyway. But yeah, then then that kind of irks me a little bit because the books describe people with dog demons as being the servants, and yeah. you know that that's a symbol of subservience and stuff, which I rail against. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can be a, I can be like a dog with a bone pun and everything else intended there. So oh yeah, definitely. Um, there's definitely a bit of that to me. Great. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And it was like a a weird a weird process for us because like obviously being a fan from the book for so long is something we've thought about. I've been on many uh, like I did quite a long walk with one of my friends who's um, big fan of books as well, and we spoke for hours and hours and hours about what she thought my demon was <laughs> and just didn't get anywhere. So in the end, we kind of somehow made a shortlist through this like very laborious and nerdy process of like what characteristics would my demon have and then basically sent like a survey around all of our family and friends and oh got them to like God. vote on which one was the demon it was an really intense. It was, yeah thankfully our family and friends are very patient and also fans of the books so that helps <laughs> they weren't just like what is a demon i don't understand <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> and yeah obviously guys for, for anyone who listens to our podcast but maybe doesn't know you yet what, what's yours yes i am very basic and it was never not going to be a cat. He's a cat. He oh, hangs nice. out in the warm spot created by my desk lamp, walks across my keyboard whenever I have my computer out, probably knocks over my water pot when I'm painting. And yeah. it's like, the, a lot of people do describe me as a cat person in a sense of like, yes, I'm a bit of a crazy cat lady, but also I'm a bit of a cat person in terms of, I'm not very good at asking for help, but I do expect help to be offered to me if I'm struggling. Um, <laughs> okay. I get very, very grumpy if I've not been fed. <laughs> I can be like, oh, love me, pay me attention, pay me attention, go away, don't touch me, get away, <laughs> like all at the same time, and have like 
<laughs> needing attention and then immediately needing my own space completely. Nobody come near me. I don't want to, I don't want any interaction right now. Um, and that's yeah. a very cat thing. I think just having grown up with cats my whole life, I am very attuned with a cat. <laughs> he doesn't have a name yet, but mm. he but is a pissed off name is cat. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah, Faye, what about you? Mine is a duck. Partly because my last name is Ducker. Also, partly because I love the water. And I mm. had it same with you, Amy, what you were saying about that you're de- you feel like your demons would be in the woods because you just feel it in your soul. Like, I have such an yeah. affinity with water and I love being near the sea and I love just being like near any body of water. And then I was like, oh, I'd really love it to be like some kind of aquatic animal. At first, I was thinking some kind of whale, but then I was like, well, then I'd need to be by the sea all the time. And it's not really practical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I went with a duck because it's like the best of birth worlds. Um, and I think that they kind of have that personality where it's sim- kind of similar to cats. It's like kind of like if you have some bread to give them, they'll be your best mate. But like other than that, it's kind of like do not come anywhere near me. <laughs> and I feel that vibe too. So yeah, I uh, mine's a little duck. Also not named because I agree. I find that really difficult. I, have, I I wouldn't even know where to start, to be honest, in naming it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Got to get your parents' demons settled. Then you got to somehow talk to them. And then to them. It's, yeah. a com- it's a complicated it's thing, right? It's yeah. very convoluted. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, that was that was really great. I feel like we've, we've set the world to rights mm-hmm. in terms of the characters, We've we've agreed on a lot, we've disagreed on a lot, which is what Pullman's work is all about. So mm. thank you for sharing your thoughts. And thank you very much for taking the time to chat to us for so long about Northern Lights. We enjoy geeking out over these things. Oh, thank you for having <laughs> us. I've had, a, I've had a great time. Yeah, it's been yeah. great. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and thank you very much. I feel like the record should state that Faye and Rachel have missed the bake-off <laughs> in honour of this recording, yeah. which which is a, yeah, just like an, an amazing sacrifice, sacrifice, to be honest. I feel very rude to have scheduled it at this time. So sorry about that. That's how much you mean to us. <laughs> Any, anything for Lyra, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all going to go now and frantically try and catch up um, with what's happening in the world of cakes, bakes, and things before mm-hmm. we get spoiled. So, for, for anyone who wants to find out more about you guys, uh, catch up with all the work you do, where are the best places to find you and listen to you? Uh, we are Herd Art Materials Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at HDMPod. We have a website which is hdmpod.co.uk and you can find most of our episodes there as well as a contact form to email us. If you want to just email us, herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. We've got a Patreon. Faye always says the Patreon <laughs> bit. <Yeah. laughs> the Patreon bit right? I was waiting to see if you would do it and I was like, is she going to do it? No, it's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. Uh, lots of like fun rewards on there we've got a discord server where we chat with all our patrons which is really fun so yeah uh if you have the means uh please join us on there we also have a shop which is a new thing but a fun thing and that is hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop i had to really think about that one <laughs> that's right isn't it Rich? Cool. yeah yeah <laughs> Yes, and both the Patreon and the shop feature all of that wonderful artwork that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. So do go Mm -hmm. check it out. And they'll be linked in our show notes. Yes. So, yeah, find it there. Cool. Wonderful. Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Thank you so much, Ian and Amy, for hosting us. Yeah, we had such a blast. And it's always nice to talk to like-minded people about his star materials and always amusing for me to talk to someone who loves Azrael. Oh my god. <laughs> I could feel it. There was tension it was we were communicating via PC, but there was still tension in the air. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you know what? Ian raised some good points and some of them I agreed with. I, I still hate Asriel, but... <laughs> I'm not changing my mind but there were some points I agreed with so there we go there we have it exclusive content here as well we totally got the scoop on the Dark Material podcast because I don't think they'd really told anyone who their demons were before and that was so exciting to know now we know them we know their souls now we know what their demons are it's very exciting (laughs) totally also I think we might have put them on the spot a little bit and they were like okay we'll tell you and we were like yes please so yeah enjoy exclusive we got you the scoop (laughs) (laughs) We did. We absolutely did. Thanks again to Ian and Amy for having us. We really did enjoy it and looking forward to doing it again sometime. Yay! Just friends! Yay! Thanks so much for listening to this special episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rage. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye and when I'm not talking to Ian and Amy, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Fayley, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E-Triple-Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel and when I'm not here to baiting about dust and demons and everything i am usually making design toys art and illustrations you can find me over on instagram at rachemakes on twitter at rach underscore makes and on my online shop at rachemakes.co.uk thanks again to the dark material podcast you can find them on twitter at dark material pod on instagram at the dark material podcast and you can support them on patreon at patreon.com forward slash dark material podcast And we'll see you soon. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Thank you. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. 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 Bye.